Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Some people will walk down the street and smell someone's perfume or cologne, and right away they suddenly remember their high school girlfriend or boyfriend. That's Dr. Zara Patel. She's a professor at Stanford University. She's also a rhinologist. That means she's a nose expert. And that's really one of the amazing parts of smell. You know, Marcel Proust wrote entire volumes of books on the the way that smell can evoke a memory. Um, And it's it's one of the most ancient, I would say, uh, nerves and systems in our bodies. I spoke to Dr. Patel earlier this season about the loss of smell and taste caused by COVID. And during that interview, she brought up something pretty intriguing. The idea of human attraction stemming from our individual sense. Do we all have our own scent? I've heard that. Like, I mean, if, if, we, could, if we were good enough smellers, would we be able to <laughs> detect someone just by their smell? Yeah, well, you know, um, we do. And... And some some of those smells are just kind of the way our our bodies um, give off uh, scent. But some of it is really on a, a really such a low level that we're only physiologically able to pick up on other people's smells. We're just reflexive <laughs> beasts after all yes, said right. and done. <laughs> My goodness. Truth is, there are many myths and a lot of mystery about the role that smell plays in human attraction. But I was really curious about the mechanisms behind it all. So on this episode, we're going to explore how our noses and our brains are affected by the bodily sense of those around us, not only shaping how we perceive them, but also impacting our search for a partner. We're also going to dive into the latest research on human pheromones. Those are the invisible compounds that are believed to drive some of our most basic behaviors. You're going to be surprised at what we found. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent. Take a moment, stop, smell the roses, because it's time to start chasing life. The human obsession with pheromones goes way back. I think many of you probably remember the 1960s song, Love Potion Number Nine. But even half a century later, we are still obsessed with the idea of finding that one scent that will make us irresistible to others. The girls keep talking about pheromone perfume oils, so of course I have to try it. But tell me why it actually works. I just ordered one of these pheromone rollerball things, and I'm going to use it when I go out to the bars by myself to meet guys, and I'll let you all know if it works. So a couple months ago, this thing went viral on TikTok. I never got it, and finally, it showed up on eBay. Those are different TikToks from users hopping on an old trend with a new twist, the idea of a fragrance that incorporates pheromones into its chemical formula. The goal? To increase sex appeal. 
is this special perfume that apparently smells different on every single person and it has pheromones in it so it makes you smell like really like tasty. And while TikTok trends are going to come and go with the changing tides, many questions do remain about pheromones. I've always been interested in animal behavior and I was lucky enough to get the chance to do a PhD looking at parental behavior in beetles. But when I finished that, it turned out there were very few jobs in uh, <laughs> beetle parental care. <laughs> that is, researching it. That's Tristram Wyatt. He's a zoologist and a senior research fellow at the University of Oxford in the UK. He's also an expert on pheromones. So when I was looking for a job, the opportunities that were coming up were in animal behavior, but they were looking at how these moths were using pheromones to communicate. Scientists like Tristram believe that pheromones could be the key to understanding why we humans are attracted to certain people. But before we go there, let's do a quick pheromone primer from the wider animal kingdom. Pheromones are a series of tiny compounds that transmit information between members of the same species. Information that changes behavior. That's key. Think of it like instant chemical communication. Now, there are different types of pheromones that prompt different types of behavior, like alarm, aggregation, and of course, sex. And we know that animals have them because they've been studied for a very long time. The idea of pheromones has been known for centuries. The ancient Greeks uh, speculated that male dogs uh, would follow the scent of a, a female on heat. And it was only in 1959 that the first chemical identification was made. So it was an extraordinary effort. Now, the amazing thing is that chemistries come on by leaps and bounds. And so what we've seen in the last 50 years or so is a complete transformation. So we now know the pheromones for an enormous number of species across the animal kingdom. What, what is it exactly? I mean, a, a pheromone, a, you know, people will <laughs> they'll think of love potion number nine. I yep. saw a documentary recently with, with primates who had actually rubbed their bodies against these trees to basically indicate that they were ready to mate. And then yep. other primates would come from, I mean, r enormous distances away. I mean, it was just, it was remarkable just how powerful it, the, the, the scent would be to these other primates. But, but, but what, what is it that we're talking about here exactly? So you could say it's a chemical signal. A signal. It's a signal. And but is it a thing or like, because a signal, to, <laughs> like I think of a radio signal or, or you know. But ah, so this, this is, um, it's not waves. Uh, it's, it's a smell. And is it, across, a, is, it, is, it a, is it a chemical? I mean, yeah. an actual chemical? So, so, so it's, a, it's a, but it's more than one chemical. So it's more than one molecule. So typically in moths, anything up to six or seven different molecules that are in the precise ratio. And that gives the species-specific signal that this is the signal from the female of your species. And then at night, you will fly upwind following the smell. Now, we can't smell those um, because our noses are not adapted to be sensitive to those molecules. But the male on his antennae has tens of thousands of specialized receptors that are tuned to those particular molecules. And so even in the dark, 
he can find his way upwind and find mm. the female. A chemical sensory signal. Yeah. And made up of specific molecules to, to whatever that, that particular creature is. Yeah. And that's true across the animal kingdom. What, what are some of the similarities now from what we know about the animal world, the insect world, and us humans? Are, are, are there similarities in terms of how we think about pheromones? Almost certainly, but we should probably go through mice first. Pheromones have been identified in mice. Mammals do have pheromones. And the question then is, have we identified any pheromones in humans? Now, if you imagine working with mice is hard, <laughs> working with humans is even, even harder. We actually know very little about what humans do in the dark when they're in private. Now, each of us knows, but as a scientific experiment, we actually don't know that much about human sexual behavior. So you need a behavior that is affected by a smell. And that's really what we don't have. It's a lot to absorb. So after the break, we're going to figure out what do we actually know about humans and those chemosensory signals. And more to the point, I guess, is that new cologne actually going to help you score a second date? But first, we're working on an episode about synesthesia, a trait that melds different senses in the brain. Think about seeing sound or hearing color. Do you have synesthesia? We'd love to hear from you. Tell us about your experience with it. When did you first notice it? And how does it present itself to you? If you can, record a voice memo and email it to us at asksanjay at cnn.com or give us a call at 470-396-0832 and leave a message. You might hear it on an upcoming episode of the podcast. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. Celebrities of all kinds are speaking publicly about their therapeutic trips, so to speak. It turns out there is a burgeoning industry ready to serve the new influx of people who find themselves turning away from traditional mental health therapy. The gap between what we know and what we don't about psychedelic therapy. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. And now back to Chasing Life and my conversation with researcher and pheromone expert, Tristram Wyatt. Given where we are right now with our knowledge of, of, of human pheromones and human sex pheromones, 
what can what can we say at this point? Can we say this? Does the way that we smell, the products that we use to enhance ourselves, you know, the fragrances, colognes, perfumes, shampoos, deodorants, do those things contribute to how sexually attractive we are to others? Can we say that at this point? Not really. Um, but it, it's... I wear this cologne and my wife seems to yeah. go crazy when I put it on. But it's, ju- uh, well, it's, well, just, it's just her, I guess. I don't know. Well, no, it's... It, um, it's a learned behavior of pleasure. Um, so um, you've been positively reinforcing that over many years. I so, keep buying bottles and bottles of this stuff. Well, I think don't stop. No. Um, I think where we are is we know that smell is really important to humans. Whether or not all our attraction is down to smell is harder to pin down. What we can say is certainly on a negative side – if somebody smells awful, um, for most of us, that's um, not an aphrodisiac. And that's something that's been true for a very long time. In ancient Rome, there is poetry that mentions uh, in advice to a friend, um, the reason you're not getting a partner is because your armpits smell like a goat. Uh, and we know what <laughs> molecule that is. <laughs> it, it's actually right. named after goats, that particular molecule. Whether or not there is and the right person that we choose by smell is something that you read about a lot, especially yeah. round about um, Valentine's Day. And this comes from some experiments in New York done in the 70s on mice. And basically, the lab technician was finding that they were mice that were almost identical. They weren't interested in mating. And it turned out the reason they weren't interested was because they smelt all the same. It turned out something was going on with the immune system and this was causing um, this selection, this attraction to uh, clones that smelled different. So somebody in Switzerland in the 1990s had the brilliant idea, okay, if it works in mice, why don't we try it in humans? Mm-hmm. So what the experimenter did was have the men wear t-shirts, have women sniff the t-shirts, get the women's rating of how smelly the t-shirts were and whether they found them attractive, and then tissue type everybody. The women preferred the smell of men that were immunologically much more different. So it was a story like the mice. So the problem with this has turned out it's actually been quite hard to replicate. And then the other thing is if this was a really strong effect, you'd expect it in the wild. And so trying to show statistically that married people are more different than a random pairing, when in fact there's so much variability in immune system genes anyway, actually is a really high hurdle. And so I think where we are at the moment is unproven. You know, you know it's, a, it's a fascinating yeah, area. Uh, yeah. I, <laughs> you know, I keep thinking now is that these are really interesting theories and you keep leading me up to this like, aha, I feel like that's going to be it. And then you say, yeah, but we haven't proven it yet. <laughs> we haven't quite. Yeah. But, but, the, but the ideas are interesting. And, you know, the old adage where there's smoke, there's fire. Mm. Maybe, maybe we just haven't been able to show these things yet. You know, maybe we will one day. It's it's interesting. You, by the way, in your TED talk, you said you have great armpits. Oh, and yes. now, what what did you mean by that specifically? I mean, armpits, their significance overall in this research. 
There were lots of things about armpits. So they're one of the areas that change um, at puberty. They have been suggested to be important in humans because we're bipedal and our noses are where they are. So two humans meeting each other, um, it's the armpits that you're going to smell rather than being on all knees, on hands and knees like a dog, uh, and sniffing bottoms and groins. That's been another reason why um, armpits have been thought to be important. There is something about shaving your armpits um, that uh, reduces the smell dramatically. Hmm. And the reason for that is that most of the smell comes from bacterial breakdown of molecules that are secreted by specialized scent glands into the armpit. So one of the things about shaving your armpits is because the bacteria live on the hair, if you clear cut your rainforest and cut them all down, <laughs> you basically take away the habitat. Now there is a twist to all this, and it's another example of the ethnocentrism of a lot of Western science. So about a third of the world's population has a slightly different gene variant. Most Japanese, Chinese, and Koreans, and people of that descent, their version doesn't pump out these precursors. Basically, there's nothing for the bacteria to mm. work on. Mm. When, when you are wearing deodorants or antiperspirants, things like that, you're changing the smell for all yeah. the reasons you just mentioned. Are you changing the pheromones as well? Who knows? We don't <laughs> we, know. We, that's a really good question. But the answer at this stage is we really don't know. Do you um, wear deodorants or antiperspirants? Do I? No. Um, you don't? No. But, but, but I do shave my armpit. So I can last a day with, without it becoming unbearable. Well, I, don't, I mean, not, you don't have to answer, but as a pheromone researcher, why don't you wear deodorant? Um, I suppose I'm trying to um, use as, as little chemicals on me as, okay, as so I can. Okay, so that's a chemical thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, going back to these variants and, and everything, I, mm. we meet somebody, okay? Mm. You like the way that they smell. I'm simplifying here, but you yeah. like you meet somebody, you like the way that they smell their scent. Is it then because we like their scent and we associate that scent with somebody that we like, or is it that we like them because of their scent? I, which comes first here, do you think? This would be a great experiment <laughs> and really hard <laughs> to do. And you've also got to get it through the ethics committee. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. Something I haven't talked about yet um, is the way that each of us smells a different world. In your eyes, you basically have four receptors. Uh, so you have a black and white receptor in the rods, and then in the cones, you've got a red, green, and blue receptors. If you go to your nose, mm. there are something like 400 different receptors, each detecting a different range or kind of molecule. And what's even stranger, is we don't all have exactly the same 400 in our nose. And that's down to our genetics. It's highly variable. It might explain, for example, why we like a person or their perfume, but not somebody else. It does explain, for example, why some people like cilantro in their guacamole 
and others don't. And there's a reason right. for that. It's genetic. That, that is me, by the way. And oh. it's very interesting because my mom uh, falls into the 90%, I guess, yeah. where she loves the... So as a child, it was cilantro was in every dish oh, yeah. growing up. And she could not understand why I did not... Yeah. I like the taste. I would pull the cilantro off of the food constantly. I still do that. It's a it's a it's a sort of family. And my brother's the same way as me, which yeah. is interesting. So to but my mom, you know, she was she was somebody who was a big cilantro lover. Yeah. Yeah. So I think you need to ask your server to um, hold back on the Yeah, that's cilantro. Let, let me ask you you know, we, we've been talking about pheromones and sex pheromones specifically. You know, the idea of being able to to smell something like fear, um, is is that real? And, and you know, we, we talk about it with canines, for mm. dogs, for example, being able to smell fear. Um, can that happen? Can humans smell fear? Is that a real thing? There's a growing body of research that suggests that it might well be true but it's fairly early days. Now, one of the hard things is knowing whether it's a signal or a cue. We don't know yet at this stage whether it's specific molecules or whether it has to do with more sweat being produced or, or whatever. One thing that the COVID-19 epidemic taught us is that smell is really important. I think it's been a spur to understanding the sense of smell better. And sadly, the sense of smell has been something of an orphan um, sense. As I said, the sense of smell really is important in all our lives. Yeah, I think that's a really that's a really good point. I mean, you know, it, it, but I but I will ask you this one last question, and and I'm, this is it's, it's kind of a broader, more philosophical question in a way. We don't know what these how to uh, what these pheromones are we don't know that they exist the way that we think about them in insects for example but with what we do know how important are they if they exist how important are they if you if you you have all these senses and we have our umwelt as ed young writes mm. about in in the book right our our sensory bubble how important is the pheromones and the sense of smell with with regard to our perception of, of another individual. We see them, we hear them, we can touch them, all these things. We smell them. How, like, on a scale of, if, if, if it's all adds up to 100, how, what percentage is smell? I think it's a high percentage. I think it's going to be hard to put a number on it. But I think... You see someone that you think is really good looking, could the smell obviate that? <laughs> can you, um, can you be just turned off? <laughs> easily. Um, <laughs> well, Napoleon is said to have written to um, Josephine saying, uh, ne lave pas, don't wash, I'm coming home. And that was three days out from home. So he was a smell <laughs> enthusiast. And there are, there are many people like that. I think we can say that smell is important. I think if you ask anybody who's lost their sense of smell through um, an infection um, or through a head injury, for example, yeah. they will tell you that they really do miss their sense of smell. And as I said, it does affect the interaction they have with their loved ones. Yeah. At the same time, we are also adaptable. And the fact that we did learn to um, do so much online 
and we could still have loving relationships at a distance, shows that it's possible to do it without the sense of smell. But for myself, the smell of a partner is special and um, they smell good. I think, I think we should leave it at that, sir. Thank you very much, Tristram. Really, really appreciate your time. You know, throughout the season, we've explored many different senses, and time after time, it just strikes me just how little we know about these very basic features of our biology. We all learn about the five senses in grade school, and I'm finding out now, after all these years, that our understanding of some of them is still very rudimentary, especially our sense of smell, which has become sort of this orphan sense, as Tristram called it, one that just goes on working steadily under our noses unnoticed and often unappreciated until it doesn't work anymore. We don't know for certain whether there are pheromones that secretly do guide our love life. The evidence simply isn't there at the moment. And although chances are that it does exist, part of me thinks that there should be a sense of mystery in life. There should be a sense of romance and maybe we don't even have to fully understand it. Some things just are. Chasing Life is a production of CNN Audio. Our podcast is produced by Emily Liu, Grace Walker, Xavier Lopez, Aaron Mathewson, and Andrea Kane. Our intern is Amber Alasawi. Haley Thomas is our senior producer, and Abby Fentress Swanson is our executive producer. Tommy Bazarian is our engineer. And a special thanks to Ben Tinker, Amanda Seeley, and Nadia Kunang of CNN Health. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.